The Bible study this morning is um, pretty straightforward. I think that's putting it lightly. I, I call it staying the course. So if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21, and while you're turning, I want to explain something. Um, we've been jumping around the last couple of weeks from um, different chapters in Galatians from verse by verse. I don't want you to think that we're going to not go back and do every verse. Last week we were in chapter 3. Um, we've done all of chapter 1 up to chapter 2, verse 10. Remember the last thing we read last week in verse 10 of chapter 1? They, they desire only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which also we are eager to do. Well, that brings us to chapter 11, and uh, we'll finish 11 through 21. But uh, last week we were in chapter 3, doing 1 through 5. So even though we're jumping around a little bit, um, don't think that we're not going to cover all the scriptures. Everybody with me? Okay, so let's um, um, look at, um, I want to read up to verse 18 here, where it says, but when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to blame. For before certain men from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself and those of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now, um, Paul's concern um, is this group that we call the Judaizers. Who are the Judaizers? Well, they say what Paul is saying is true, but you also have to keep the law in order to be saved. So this um, is where um, Peter is saying one thing, And then hypocritically, it goes on to say here that um, Paul calls him out. And um, he says in verse four, but when I saw that they were not straightforward concerning the truth. Um, If you being a Jew, well, verse 13, we gotta go back to. uh, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas, Barnabas? Well, this is Paul's missionary partner. So basically what's happening here is Paul is confronting Peter with his hypocrisy, saying outwardly one thing, um, but outwardly displaying something completely different. He was fellowshipping with the Jews, and then these Jews that were believers came up, and they gravitated away from the Gentiles, and they would only hang out with the Jews. Now that, that is making a statement. In other words, outwardly he's saying one thing, but then outwardly he's doing just the opposite. It's sending a message. And Paul calls him right out. He says, this is hypocrisy. Why are you playing the hypocrite? And he said, even Barnabas. Uh, th- think of the, mag- the magnitude of the men we're talking about here. 
We're talking about Peter. <laughs> We're talking about Barnabas. I mean, the so-called pillars of the church are men and women just like you and I um, that as we're going to see this morning, we're going to gravitate into what is called uh, ecumenicalism. And the reason we're going to go there and talk about it, I'm using this as an example of what is happening to the church today. And it's being hypocritical because we've gotten away from some things. We say one thing, but major denominations and um, major churches are um, um, coming together for various reasons. And so this morning I would like to give an example of how the Christian church is allegedly um, compromising the truth for the sake of unity. Just as um, um, Peter um, was compromising the truth by gravitating over to these Jewish believers. He was sending a message. And the message was, I said one thing, but I'm, I'm doing another. Now, some of you are thinking, Dwight, what's the big deal if we all believe in Jesus? Um, I mean, can't we all just get along if you believe in Jesus and I believe in Jesus? Well, the big deal is we find here in Galatians chapter two. Paul thought it was a big deal. Paul um, calls out Peter, even though Peter clearly believed the gospel, but he was willing to disassociate himself from the Gentile believers, giving the appearance that he, in his heart he was holding to what the Judaizers were actually holding to, the, the believing Judaizers. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay, well, um, this was supposed to have been settled back in Acts chapter 15. So in way of review, would you please go back to the book of Acts? This is when they had their first confrontation over this very issue. And um, I'm gonna look at most of this chapter. In Acts chapter 15, we read, and certain men came down from Judea and taught that the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, and that means there was a big to-do argument about it, and dispute with them, well, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go down to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders, um, I should say go up to Jerusalem. Nowhere in the Bible does it say go down from Jerusalem because whatever direction you're coming from, you're going up. So I read that wrong. To the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent out on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles And they caused great joy for the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. So who are the Pharisees? Well, they're the leadership, um, the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, some of them got saved. 
I think a lot of them got saved when they saw Lazarus come back from the dead. Uh, who believed they rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. And um, they had a big argument about this. So the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. And when they had much dispute, in other words, this was a doctrine that they were willing to argue over, it was Peter who rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know what a good while ago God chose us among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now I'm going to get a little sidetracked here. Keep your finger right here with this verse. But then I want you to turn with me to a couple pages back. Acts 10 verse 20. And Peter is actually saying here, He's having, let's pick it up, um, uh, there was this guy named uh, Cornelius, um, and Cornelius was a devout man. Uh, he was a centurion of the Ital- Italian uh, re- regiment, and he prayed, and he was generous, and um, an angel appeared to him, and um, he said, I want you to send Um, for Simon, the tanner, uh, who lives by the sea. So while Peter's waiting for these guys to show up, he doesn't know they're going to show up, Uh, it was lunchtime and Peter went up on the roof and he was hungry. In verse 10 it says he was hungry. And while they made ready to eat, he fell into a trance. And I saw heaven open and objects like a great sheet with four corners descending to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And he hears his voice. And the voice says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And here's the biggest oxymoron ever. And Peter said, not so, Lord. (laughs) That is an oxymoron. (laughs) Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. What Peter doesn't realize, that Gentiles were considered unclean. They even called them dogs. And so how does the Lord get Peter's attention? He takes unclean things, brings them down on a picnic basket type blanket, and here's all these unclean animals, and the Lord says, rise up, kill and eat, Peter. He says, I can't, they're unclean. And this happened three times, And then Peter gets a knock at the door. And here's these guys that said, uh, well, we got this guy, an angel appeared to him and said we're supposed to go find you and that you're gonna tell them the way of salvation. And so he goes to um, Cornelius' house. Uh, He begins to uh, present the gospel to a Gentile. And he finally figures out, in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, it is true I perceive that God shows no partiality. This is important. No difference if you're a Christian, if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Doesn't it say that? Neither male nor female, slave or free, Jew or Gentiles, we're all one in Christ. But what were the Judaizers saying? Nuh-uh, not acceptable. You have to be, if you're gonna, 
accept the Jewish Messiah, then you have to keep the, the law. And so Peter's giving this Bible study in verse 44, and while in the middle of his Bible study, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard. Now these were all Gentiles. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. A Gentile can get saved. And as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. And then Peter said, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just like us? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Back to Acts chapter 15, verse seven. I'm gonna read it again and we'll put these two together. And when they had much dispute, who is disputing? Peter is disputing with the Judaizers about salvation. You can't add anything to it. So when they had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Well, now you know where that came from. Cornelius was the first Gentile saved. And Peter's talking about it here. It says it was by my mouth. I was the one who was witnessing to Cornelius and the Holy Spirit fell down on him. And, uh, and then they all believed and, and they were baptized. So God, verse eight, knows the heart, acknowledged them, gave them the Holy Spirit just as it did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? You're talking about keeping the law? We couldn't keep the law. If you keep the law, you have to keep all of the law. And if you fail in one point, you fail in all points. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul. Now remember, Barnabas is um, Paul's traveling companion, and he gets sucked into this. Uh, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And afterwards, when everybody was silent, James stood up, and I'll paraphrase this, and he said, um, basically quoting scriptures from the Old Testament, um, verse 17, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, and God knows. So what did they do? They came to a conclusion. We are going to write a letter. We're gonna send it back, um, um, back up to Antioch. I'll abbreviate the letter, and the letter basically says, you've been hearing from some of the Judaizers, the Pharisees, that in order to be saved, you have to believe the gospel. Well. That's true. But you also have to be circumcised in keeping the law. We've never said any such thing. And we're writing this letter to let you know as Gentiles that that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is by grace and faith, 
period. Good place for an amen. But this was a big dispute. So what's happening now in our text back in Galatians, this was all settled back in Acts chapter 15, but I don't know what the word is here, tradition, um, being so used to a religion that um, um, we could, I was using the example last week with uh, being saved both in Protestantism and in Roman Catholicism that in order to be saved that you also have to be baptized. And that's just absolutely no different than what's happening here. They were adding something to um, salvation in order for you to be saved. And my friends, the word of God does not teach that. And uh, now we have Peter, of all people, hanging out with the Gentiles until some of his Jewish buddies come up who were keepers of of the law and uh, he sort of gravitates towards them. And Paul looks over and he sees this and he goes, what in the world are you doing? And he calls them out on it and um, he says, you're a, a hypocrite. And verse 13 it says, even Barnabas, I mean Paul's, companion got sucked into it and that is a danger of religion you can be in a church for so long that adds things to the finished work of the cross and sometimes it's just hard to break away because you've done it for so many years that it becomes a ritual and a custom and you think well maybe I need to keep doing these things and um, I'm here to tell you this morning about ecumenicalism And the reason I'm bringing it up, it has grown exponentially. And in order for that to happen, I first of all need to give you a definition of what ecumenicalism is. And I'm quoting here from um, things we got off the internet, um, a summary. The spirit of ecumenism probably started at Babel, we'll be going back there, on a very basic level. That is, humans wanting to work together with or without God's blessing. The Catholics certainly had their say as soon as they declared Peter the first pope, unequivocally stating the apostolic line governing the church goes through him and thereby declaring They oversee the church on earth. And up until the Reformation, they did. Everything was under the covering of Rome. Uh, They had spent their subsequent centuries claiming to be the, the church and went above all to reserve, to, did everything they could to reverse the Reformation. Again, I'm gonna do a little sidetrack here and show you why they think that Peter was the first pope. And you need to turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. We give this Bible study up by Caesarea Philippi because that's where it took place according to verse 13. Jesus asked a question, well, who do people say that I am? And some said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Some people think you're Elijah. Others think you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
But he said to him, but what about you guys? Who do you think that I am? And it was Peter that answered and said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And the Lord said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And this is our key verse for Peter being the first pope right here. And I say to you that you are Peter. Uh, The Greek word for uh, here is uh, Petros, uh, stone would be a translation for it. And then it says, and on this rock. Oh, that's another um, Greek word, but that means like Petra, or the rock of Gibraltar. And I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the key scriptures. When I visited Rome, there's this great big statue of Peter, and he's holding out the keys like this. And um, what's really being said here is that you are Peter, a little stone, and upon this rock is actually a reference to the rock that was cut without stone in Daniel that came and crushed the statues, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ, and he establishes a kingdom forever. So the correct interpretation of this, and uh, to denounce Roman Catholicism's claim that they are the one and the only true church based on this here. Peter was the first pope. Well, popes can't get married. Peter was married. (laughs) So he blew it even before he was pope. (laughs) No, The Lord is gonna build his church on his rock. The Lord is the one that uses what? What does he call us? Living stones, that he's gonna build his church with living stones. Not only that, but if you turn to chapter 18, verse 18, the very same thing he said to one disciple, Peter, he says to all the disciples exactly the same thing. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth it will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he's speaking to all of them, not just Peter, but to any one of you, this, if you're a born-again Christian, you have the authority to, like Ray Comfort did this morning, explain the gospel to them and share with them after they say, do you believe that? Yeah, I, I, that makes sense. I believe that. Well, do you want to accept the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior? He'll forgive you your sins. Well, who do you think you are to have the authority to make such a statement? Well, my Bible says I have that authority. To tell a person, if you pray, ask Jesus into your life, that you have the authority to say your sins are forgiven. Your name is put in the book of life. And by the way, there's a lot of angels rejoicing right now because of what you just did. And so what applied to the disciples applied to any born-again believer. And let me just, I'll do this a couple times this morning. Guys, it's late. And we have uh, the stake and study for one reason, one reason only. Not just for the stake. Maybe half you guys, that's your attitude and your, 
But the real reason is, is to say to one of your buddies, hey man, what are you doing Friday night? How about we go out for a free steak dinner? Here, uh, here one of the guys tell a story about how they became a Christian. And then uh, listen to um, a three-time Grammy winner, and I don't know how many Dove Awards uh, Bruce has gained over the years, but he'll be telling his story. Uh, one of the finest Christian musicians, also a good Bible teacher. Why don't you come on out? So this is a commercial right now for the stake of study. And if you weren't thinking about going, I talked to um, um, Francisco and Mary, and um, I'm just encouraging it. If you weren't planning on coming, come and sign up. And uh, we'll order some extra steaks and uh, bring a buddy, whoever the Lord is putting in your head right now. Well, I've been witnessing to this guy, but I didn't sign up for the stake and study. Maybe I should do it. If you don't do it, you go to purgatory. I mean, that's just... Did I, did I really say that? The stuff back here, I tell myself, don't do it, don't do it, don't it. And it comes out anyway. Let's get back to ecumenicalism. So ecumenicalism at one time was the Roman Catholic Church. In modern times, ecumenicalism is a modern term began in 1910 with a forerunner of the World Council of Churches meeting in Scotland as a World Missionary Conference. Now the World Council of Churches uh, in, in 1948 was formed. Evangelicals and Catholics together Famous names, Chuck Colson, J.I. Packard, both reform in their theology. Evangelicals who signed in 1994. So there was actually a movement to get Catholics and Protestants to come together, and um, this was formed. Then there's something called the Alpha Course. Very popular among evangelicals, started in 1990 by an Anglican, Nikki uh, Gumbel, its goal was to sneak Catholicism into every evangelical church who offers it. Both Brian Broderson and Rick Warren endorsed the Alpha Course. It began out of the vineyard movement and the Toronto vineyard specifically. It's still very popular today. Churches in this community are offering that course as I speak, or have at least in the past. And then there's Chrislam. How many of you have ever heard the terminology of Chrislam? Oh, not too many, so I'll give an explanation of what that is. One of the largest evangelical churches in our community taught what I'm about to tell you, called Chrislam. Chrislam, in the early 2000, brings Islam and churches together, saying they're the same God and they're bringing them together, and it's called Chrislam. Catholics and Lutherans' joint declaration in 2016, facilitated by Pope Francis, probably the most ecumenical pope ever. I take issue with that. The one we have now is the most ecumenical and global. He's a Jesuit pope, but uh, he is pushing hard and heavy for a one-world government, 
and his real plan, as we're going to see before the study is over, a one-world religion. Today's ecumenicalism revolves around this is how it's evolved over the years. And uh, um, I see it engulfing the church as a whole, or trying to at least. Um, And people not speaking out against it in the same way that Paul had to talk to Peter. He had to call him out on it. And so I have to do a Bible study like this and call these groups that say, well, why can't we all just get along and and, uh, have these organizations as long as we just believe in Jesus? Well, because of the doctrine that goes along with it. Some of it is another gospel. And uh, you would be joining yourself to it just by associating with it in the same way that Peter associated with the um, Judaizers. All right. Today's ecumenicalism revolves around social justice causes, unity in diversity, and working together to solve social ills, racism, and poverty. This has led to the church to embrace dominion theology, which um, is um, um, the promises that were given to Israel are now inherited by the church, and Marxist sensibilities, what basically what we're seeing with the global reset. Churches start, churches starting with emergent church and church growth models and liberalism now are more interested in social causes than the gospel. The leftists in the church use evangelicals to promote their agenda. Now I've personally experienced this with an organization that was geared after Calvary Chapel um, evangelizing much of what we call the 1040 window, which is in Asia, includes India, and I watched them start with the beginning, rock solid. It was the gospel and the Bible schools that were set up. I've, I've spoken many of them um, over a 20-year period of time. But what began to happen is it went from being just the gospel, teaching the scriptures and evangelism, to becoming more of a social gospel where it actually was more important to physically help the people and putting the gospel in second place when it should be the other way around. How did we end last week's study? Uh, Well, Paul in the Galatians saying, can't have it, can't have Judaizers and the gospel being the same thing. Are we all in agreement here? And they said yes. And they said, and one thing that we all are in agreement, remember the poor. And that's how we concluded um, last week's study. This is important. Ecumenism, at its height in the last days, anticipates the one world religion of the Antichrist. So we see that from Genesis to Revelations, humans have sought unity against God. Um, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Genesis. And while you're turning to chapter 11, uh, a word study that was done on ecumenicalism 
I'm going to give you, I'm going to try to pronounce um, the Greek word. It is um, O-Q-B-I-C-U-M. I'm probably butchering that. Um, in the Greek, it means the known world historically used to describe the Roman Empire. Um, Rome still thinks they are the center of the world. Well, let me tell you something. The one world religion is going to be centered in Rome. And I'll prove that before the Bible study is over this morning. So if you're in um, Genesis chapter 11, um, this would have been after the flood. These are the names of uh, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then it gives the names of the, the, um, the children of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I'm particularly interested in one person here of the family of Ham in chapter 10 where it says Cush begot Nimrod. And it's the only person here where they describe his personality. He became to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter. Well, in the original language there, he was not only the main figure as a type of the Antichrist, and it wasn't a hunter of deer or animals, but of the souls of men. Now, this is important because of the Old Testament picture that it's going to paint of the New Testament uh, Antichrist that's on the scene. All right, so in chapter 11, we're past the flood, and we read in verse 1, Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. Is not that the direction that our world is headed in right now? And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, let, let, let us make bricks and, and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick from stone and they added asphalt for, for mortar. And this is what they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The word us, name for ourselves, it was all about loving themselves rather than God's word. And that's exactly what happened and the reason the flood came in the first place. So what does the Lord do? He basically saying, one of the things that says about this generation that people will be lovers of self, what's the rest of it? Rather than lovers of God. And that's a tendency that I, that I see where it's um, a lot of the mega churches that are out there. When I was uh, at the, my relative's uh, funeral last week, there were stations that I ordinarily didn't see. And I saw prosperity teachers, um, and I couldn't but Peter... Paparov, his name, he's still alive. Uh, he's, he's the biggest prosperity speaker that was out there. And others, but it was all about you. The whole thing was about you. And they threw the name Jesus at her once in a while and maybe quoted a scripture, but bottom line, it was all about self. And here, the Tower of Babel is all about them. Let us make a name for ourselves. 
Well, what's our job? We're going to read it. Um, for me to live is Christ, to die is to gain. We're supposed to die daily. And um, we're supposed to deny ourselves, not promote ourselves. Another good place for an amen. And yet this is contrary to, and he asked the question, why would they do that? Why would Peter of all people and Barnabas, why do it? Well, intimidation, um, wanting more numbers, uh, not wanting to be looked at as being, oh, you guys are so exclusive. Like they were saying this morning, the one guy said, you Christians, you think you're, you're the only way. Yeah, we do. And not because I say so. Jesus is the only way. And you must be born again. Oh, that's your being narrow-minded. Yeah, very, very narrow. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And many will be that will find it. But narrow is the way and few. So why do people gravitate towards these other things? For sake of looking bigger, being more open-minded. But when we're having a Bible study like Paul is doing to Peter, and again, consider the source. The very instrument that God used to speak to the Gentiles he's now backing away from. Shame to hang around with them. Paul says, you hypocrite. And even Barnabas. Barnabas got sucked into this. If Peter and Barnabas could get sucked into us, don't you think there's people out there today that can get sucked into the same ecumenical movement for the sake of being more popular or have a mega church or, and give people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear? Now, that's a good place for an amen. <laughs> All right, let's get back to this. Um, yesterday, let's go back to uh, verse 11. Um, uh, chapter 5, what, as a result of this, uh, the Lord, verse 5, came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had made. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have become one language And this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us, plural, go down there, confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, the name is called Babel because there the Lord confused Uh, the language of the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And basically saying if we let them do this, there won't be anything they want to accomplish. That's where our world is headed right now. Letting down doctrinal distinctives. And um, yesterday in men's prayer, we were in the book of Amos, okay, Uh, Amos and Joel, um, Amos prophesied right after Joel, um, and basically they were living in prosperity and it was all about themselves, so the Lord sends Amos, whose name means burden bear, he had this burden on him, because he had to tell um, Israel that they're going down that they're going to be judged. And he's going to bring this judgment down upon them. Um, and the reason that they were faltering, we also read in Amos, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to. 
Amos chapter 8, verse 11, um, says, Amos 8, verse 11, Amos says, Behold, the days are coming, the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, not a famine for the thirst of water, but of hearing the word of the word of God, that there's going to be a famine. What's he saying? We're living in times where people are gradually moving away from the solid teaching, and I mean all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, um, where we have hard-hitting Bible studies like this morning, and um, they're getting away from the Bible. And uh, this is, it was interesting to me, uh, quite a few of the guys commented on it that we'll have a famine for the Bible. Uh, The most precious commodity that we have is um, God's word. He said he holds this book higher than his own name. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word. That's going to last forever. And as Ray Comfort said this morning, God can't lie. The other thing we read in here in Amos that's just coming to mind, it says God will do nothing until he tells it first through his prophets, okay? And everything, in other words, everything God wants you to know is in this book. It says in Hebrews 1 that in the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he's chosen to speak to us through his own dear son, Jesus Christ. So the word of God is complete. All scripture, not some, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. Are we talking about doctrine this morning? Oh, we sure are. And um, were some being deceived and sucked into it? Yeah. Peter. (laughs) Barnabas. And all the rest of them, they saw Peter move over. They saw Barnabas move over. And um, to Paul's credit, he calls them out. He says, this is not right. And he rebuked them. He called them hypocrites. I would have liked to have seen that. I would have liked to have seen Paul called Peter a hypocrite. <laughs> Who, me, deny you? I would never deny you, Lord. I wouldn't do anything like that. Don't we say things like that? And then do just the opposite. We say one thing and guilty of doing just something different. Once again, the world is saying, just like in Babylon, we're seeking a one-world global restart, a one-world government and a one-world religion, and I see the pieces falling into place through this thing we call ecumenicalism, getting away from the, the narrowness of salvation to um, these ecumenical groups that are um, springing up around the world. Turn to me to the book of Revelation, chapter 17. Let's talk about this one-world religion. We'll read the first seven verses of chapter 17. Just as Daniel is not written in a chronological order, neither is the book of Revelation, chapters 17 and 18 actually occur during the tribulation period. So this is part of the religion. This religion that we're going to read here is going to be destroyed um, in the middle 
of the tribulation period. So with that being said, let's read verse one. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Well, the great harlot is um, um, eventually gonna be the one world religion and I'll show you where the headquarters of this one world religion is. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in a spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Um, I believe references to uh, false doctrine, false teaching. And on her forehead, her name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now this is John looking at this thing and what he's looking at is a picture of the church that exists. But this church is guilty of the martyr and the blood of the saints. I can't tell you how many million of people died in the first 300 years because of um, um, the papacy and the hierarchy of, um, of until Constantine got saved. When the Roman Empire was rising, um, you were martyred if, if you didn't bow the knee to the emperors. And the uh, emperor that changed it all around, his name was Constantine, he came to power about 312 AD, and he Christianized Romanism. And it became the hub of the world under Constantine. So, verse seven, the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the 10 horns. The beast that you saw and is not will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. We're talking about the Antichrist here who's going to become demon-possessed by the devil himself. Then it reads in verse 15, um, and he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Tell me a country in the world that doesn't have a Roman Catholic church in it or a Roman Catholic hospital or a Roman Catholic orphanage. That's what they're known for. Mother Teresa. You know that Mother Teresa denounces Jesus? (laughs) That shocks people when I tell them that. No, she's there to do just the good works. But my point is, give credit where credit is due. If she's there helping people, I'll rejoice in that and say praise the Lord to that, that, that at least they're getting help and being fed. But when it talks about being all over the world, the Roman Catholic Church is the only one that fits this picture. Every country, every continent, on every nation, and every tongue. 
And the ten horns which you saw on the beast will hate the harlot. Well, who's the harlot? Well, that's the Roman Catholic Church. How do you know that, Dwight? Well, because remember, if Satan is now has his final authority, what has he always wanted? He wanted to be like God. Didn't he say to Jesus, if you'll get down and worship me, I'll give you all the things of this world because they're mine to give. I am the God of this world. The Lord says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And he rebuked him. For God, so the Antichrist here wants this worship, but there's a problem. Everybody's worshiping out of Rome. And there's a one world religion. It's got to go. Because only one person now is going to be worshipped. He's the Nimrod of the Old Testament who's a hunter of the souls of men. That's just my opinion, okay? Verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the word of God is fulfilled. Okay, verse 18, and the woman who you saw is that great city. Oh, now we're talking a city which reigns over the kings of the earth. What kingdom ruled when John was a disciple? Rome, the whole Holy Roman Empire. So we know that the city that's destroyed here is Rome. And the reason it's destroyed is the Antichrist was the type of Nimrod, won't have anything or anyone worshiped except he himself. And what happens if you don't do that? You do it by taking the mark. And if you don't take the mark, what happens? You get killed. It's that simple. So now just as the Lord came down, and um, I need 15 through 18 too. I'm just going to let that one go. Um, Now just as the Lord came down and dismantled ancient Babylon, so once again he will come down and deal with this one world government that the Antichrist has established with his own kingdom. What's the first thing that happens? The Lord comes back, the Battle of Armageddon, everybody's completely wiped out, the false prophet and um, um, the religious leader are cast immediately into the lake of fire, but, but not Satan. Satan is bound for 1,000 years and because the Lord is not yet through using him. But he will be bound for a 1,000 years. So just as he came down in the Old Testament at Babel, dispersed everything, so the Lord will come back again and he will establish his kingdom. Do not we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done? I'm getting sick, I'm sick of this world. I'm sick of getting old, (laughs) sick of a lot of things that are going on, and I don't see it getting better. And there's people that actually think we're going to pull through all this and we're going to get our act together and and things are going to be back to normal. Be honest with yourself, my friends. I do not see our economy making it to the end of this year. I was talking with Bruce Carroll. We're seriously wondering about the conference coming up in September which is just a little ways out. Things are happening that quickly. And I can't get started on just things that have happened this week. That's why we had 
I took that time for Ray Comfort this morning. Let's go back to Galatians as we begin to close this up this morning. Galatians 2, I left off with verse 19. Now we're going to read 20 and 21 in closing. This should be our prayer. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. So you wanna do the works? Well then, what Jesus did on the cross has no meaning. It's meaningless. Because like one of the gals being interviewed, are you going to heaven? Why? Well, I'm a good person. Oh, really? You're a good person. That completely contradicts what the Bible has to say. I don't like this verse. I'm gonna share it anyway. That in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And you think you're scratching your head, you want the mercy, something good there somewhere. <laughs> well, there is. And every perfect gift that you have, where does it come from? From above. So you do good works. But when you do, be quick to say in the back of your mind, Lord, all the glory is yours. I know who I am, and I know who you are, and I've been crucified with you. So you get all the glory, you get all the praise, and we're not gonna add anything to. And let's take it a step farther by saying I know people that watch us live stream, people I've loved to the Lord, and they'll watch us and agree with us, but they still go to the Catholic Church. And when I try to talk to this person, I'm saying, you can believe the gospel and say, Dwight, I don't believe in purgatory, I don't believe in Mary, I, don't, I believe what you believe. I read my Bible every day, I pray every day. And I said, but my friend, the very fact that you're going with your family to the Catholic Church is sending them a message in the same way that Peter was sending a message and Barnabas was sending a message. You can say it one thing, but if you don't come up from among them and be a part of the minority, then you're, you're basically telling them, well, yeah, it's, uh, it's okay to be Catholic and keep these things, even if you're talking about it. Um, I don't want to be ecumenical. How about you guys? And we won't, because this book is what the Lord has given us. We do not want a famine for the word of God. That's why we teach it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Next week we'll be finishing up chapter three. And, um, but even, um, let's just put it like this. We don't want to be like Peter. Um, saying we're saved by grace through faith and then go and hang out with those who say this and this and this needs to be added to it. And this final verse here is so important. I will not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law or works, then Jesus died in vain. Amen? Let's stand up and we'll close with a prayer.
Lord, I'm grateful that you give us all the details where there's just outright disagreements and arguments between Peter and Paul. And that Paul was man enough not to compromise and explain that there's no difference between a Gentile or a Jew. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, then we're all one in the faith if you're born again. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we now commit it to you. I pray your word would not return void. In Jesus' name, amen.